one page, I think, in these Bibles, so it goes quick. Yeah, okay. So, uh, Colossians 1. I've titled this sermon tonight, Suffering for the Hope of Glory. Um, in, in your Bible, as you see, it's sort of this little section, and it says, Paul's labor for the church. And, and I just want to reference the Old Testament passage briefly before we read this. Um, I don't know if any of you guys have ever read the Minor Prophets, which is all those small books at the end of the Old Testament that have weird names like Habakkuk and Obadiah and Zephaniah. Uh, they're phenomenal. And, and I promise you what we read is going to tie in very, very well. So it wasn't just an obscure passage about Babylon and horses and leopards, I promise. Uh, so uh, please join with me. Uh, follow along either on the screen or in the text in front of you for Colossians chapter 1, 24, verses, uh, or 24 through chapter 2, verse 5. Paul writes to the Colossian church, Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. And I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea, and for those who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom all are hidden in the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this, that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, we're just going to go right into it. Paul is, is, after talking about what we talked about last week, saying that Christ is the head of the church, is the head of all creation, that Christ, all thing was made through Christ and for Christ. Paul then goes on to encourage the church and say, hey, listen, I just want you to know that I am rejoicing with you even though I am suffering. Paul, when he wrote this letter, was in, in, in prison, and, and, and being, um, he was having a hard time. The early church in the first century was not real popular with the Jews and the Romans. And, um, and so Paul is saying, listen, I'm suffering right now because of this life, because we're Christians, but you know what? I'm rejoicing in it. Rejoice in suffering. I, I don't know if we hear this a lot as Christians or if I just bring it up a lot, <laughs> I promise, if I am, I'm not doing it on purpose. I know we've talked about this before in recent weeks and months. But it's a theme that comes up over and over again in, in the Bible. The Bible says over and over again that we need to be rejoicing. Here it says rejoicing in suffering. In, in the book of James it says we count it pure joy when you suffer. You know, Jesus says blessed are those who are persecuted. You know, Thessalonians says rejoice always. Whatever you're going through, because this is the will of Christ Jesus for you. 
And here's Paul saying, I am suffering for your sake, church. You church in Colossians, he's never met these people, as he says. And he says, listen, I am suffering for your sake, and I want you to know this. You know, and it may not seem fair, but if you've read through the Bible, I mentioned some of those prophets. A couple other good names in the prophets are two men named Hosea and Ezekiel. Hosea and Ezekiel are two prophets who both suffered for the sins of other people. The book of Hosea is, maybe we'll talk about it more in depth sometime, is a really, really good one. Uh, And Ezekiel as well. And it's not that uncommon of a theme in the Bible. But, But today in the world, it seems unfair. Why would you suffer for the sins of other people? That's just not fair. What's fair? We think we should get what we deserve, right? We think, well, if this isn't their fault, if this isn't, you know, if it's not someone's fault, they shouldn't suffer. But, see, the world and the Bible have very different concepts of what fair is. The world thinks that everyone should get, you know, if, if they haven't done anything wrong, nothing bad should happen to them, or that they should live nice lives. But, but when we look at the Bible, fair is not really in there. I mean, all we have to do is look to Easter and see what fair is. Our God, the God of the universe, the God who created everything just by speaking, decided to offer himself up for our sin. So while we believe in a God who is just, our concept of fair doesn't always fit that. And I think sometimes, brothers and sisters in Christ, we try to focus too much on what is fair when we think about suffering. Paul is saying in verse 24 that he is suffering for Christ's church, for the church, the global church, for all of the Christians. And and I just want to point out one of the things he says in verse 24 is not that anything was lacking in Christ's suffering. You may have noticed it says in verse 24, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body. He's not saying that anything was undone by Christ. Uh, but that the body of Christ still needs to grow, that the body of Christ needs to come together more, that the body of Christ needs to embrace what is happening the same way Christ did. And the church needs to be willing to suffer together. You know, this morning, Doug mentioned this uh, in his sermon, which was a completely different passage in a different section of Scripture, but when the body is hurting, the whole body knows, right? When anyone who's who's a a runner, or, or even just if you've ever heard a toe or a foot walking, You try to overcompensate, and then another part of the body starts hurt, and the whole body knows when it's hurt. And to carry out that image that he gives us as the body of Christ, it seems that Paul knows there are more growing pains ahead for the church. Paul knows that there is more struggle ahead. You know, if you've ever read the book of Acts, the apostle Paul suffered greatly for the church. We just read this morning in the youth group in Acts chapter 14 that the apostle Paul in Lystra was stoned. And they thought to death, but he doesn't dead. They, you know, got him out and got him out of there. But Paul suffered greatly for the church, for the sake of Christ. And he says in verse 25, not only am I suffering for you, but I am happily his servant. I am happily doing this as a servant of God. Continuing what he said in verse 23 that we talked about last week. It is the only possible response to the goodness God has shown us. Paul shows us that we need to become servants. He says, I have become the church's servant, a servant and a steward of this mystery, this thing Jesus we're trying to figure out, the hope of glory. 
And in verse 28 and 29, he lays out this. And I love how he says it. He says, we proclaim him. Paul never once says, we proclaim my ministry. We proclaim you. We proclaim the church at Colossae. No, he says, we proclaim Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone. And it's to this end I labor, that everyone will be made perfect in Christ. He is the one we proclaim. Jesus is the name above all names. We don't follow leaders. We don't follow theologies. We don't follow nationalities. We don't follow history. Above all else, we as brothers and sisters in Christ proclaim the name of Jesus that all would know and be fulfilled in Him. So why? Why are we called to go through this together? You know, we don't all get along. We're all different. I mean, in this room, we are from around the world. Why are we called to do this together? He says, conveniently, he says, my purpose, this is in verse 2, he says, my purpose for this is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches and complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Paul wants us to suffer and embrace what is happening in our lives together that we would be encouraged, united in love, full and complete in our understanding, with knowledge and wisdom, and above all else, that we would know Christ. That Christ would be the thing that defines us, that Christ would be the thing that flows out of us in our work, in our families, in our speech, everything. And then he mentions one more thing that's very important in verse 4. He says, I tell you this, not just for, for you guys and for your benefit, but he says, I tell you this, that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. So it's not just for you. It's not just to encourage the people around you, but it's also to keep you strong for the people who will oppose you. You know, in the ESV, the English Standard Version, uh, it, it, it says, it translates the Greek this way. It says that you may not be persuaded by plausible arguments, which I really like. Because let's be honest, let's face it, some of the arguments out there against what we believe are sort of plausible. I mean, we just had Easter, right? All someone has to do is come to us and say, okay, prove it. Right? Didn't you just prove it? Show me empirical evidence or proof that Jesus Christ... Okay, fine, he died, great. I'll believe that. Show me proof that he rose from the dead. For some people, we just can't provide the kind of evidence they need. And what Paul is saying is that when we go through suffering, when we go through all of these things and we're united in love and we're full and complete in Christ, it, it, it deflects these arguments and it equips us that we would not be led astray by those things because we know what we believe. Right? You've heard the phrase before, I've seen the effects of the wind, but I've never seen the wind. I, I can't... I mean, I'm sure scientists can prove wind. I can't tell you what wind looks like, but I can tell you what wind does. I can't tell you what God does, and, and I can't tell you exactly how Jesus rose from the dead, but I can show you the effects of it in my life. And in the same way, Paul says, when we are united in love, when we are together, it keeps us from falling into these sorts of arguments the world would make. That we would be encouraged and united in love, full and complete understanding, and that we would know Christ. And let me encourage you this night that these are byproducts of suffering. 
I can stand confidently before you and say, if you do not fear and if you embrace suffering together with your brothers and sisters in Christ, these are the things that come from it. These are the things that come out of it. And Paul is telling the Colossian church, this is his goal. I want you guys to have these things. I want you guys to be firm in your faith that you would stand as a light in your city. See, as Christians, we don't question God in the good times, though, right? We don't don't worry about these plausible arguments when things are going well. But it's times of suffering. It's times of trials. You know, I've shared this before, but in my experience, people don't leave God nearly as much as when they encounter suffering in hard times. You know, I had many friends that I grew up going through youth group together, and and, and we were on the leadership team, and we would pray these great prayers, and we would sing songs. And I confess I haven't spoken to them directly, but I, I hear stories of what's happened in their lives and how they've turned from God. And the one constant every single time I've seen is that they encountered a great trial in their life or something really bad just happened, and they said, you know what, I don't want any more of God. They say, you know what? I'm done with the whole God thing. In the face of suffering, these people did the exact opposite of what Paul is saying we should do. Why is it so hard for us? Well, I think one thing is that we are experiential beings. We learn through experience. We observe, we test, we're very rational. We've been educated in Western schools and Western mindset. And so we like to draw conclusions about the world around us. We think and we see the world, and without realizing it, we're applying the same sorts of ideology to God. We look and we don't see God. Things get difficult and we say, where is God? And we say, he's not here. Sometimes we pray and we hear nothing. And, and we think back to, well, we used to experience God, or we thought we experienced God, but why isn't God here? Why isn't God now? And, and people abandon We get concerned that we don't see God and he's not here. And we think about God without realizing it like scientists would. In the scientific world, you need what they call reproductibility or reproducibility. If you do an experiment and it works out, it has to be done by other people to say that, yes, this is is what it is. That's not how God works, though, is it? Well, when I was really bummed out and when I was really having a hard time, I prayed and I heard the voice of God. I remember being told that one time. And I remember praying so fervently as a teenager, saying, God, I just want to hear your voice. I just want to hear your voice, like, with everything I was. And nothing. If it worked for them, why isn't it working for me? Does that mean God is not real? Certainly not. God doesn't work the way we want him to work. And sometimes as Christians, we fall into these plausible arguments. We fall into doubt. You know, Paul addresses this very well in his letter to the Romans. Uh, I just want to read you this passage. Um, It's from Romans chapter 8. You can look it up later. I just want to read you this right now. Talking about the Holy Spirit and the presence of God in our lives, Paul says this to the Roman church, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. You received the spirit of sonship, And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And now if we are children, then we are heirs. We are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. 
if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we also may share in his glory. There is something that God has put in us that he wants us to not run from suffering and hard times, but he wants us to turn inward to the church and turn to the people around us and go through it together. Not the spirit of fear, he says, but the spirit of sons and daughters. The first thing I thought of when I thought of this was a toddler who's running, falls, and scrapes his knee. Or her knee. And the first thing they do sometimes, even before crying, is they pop up and they look for their parent. Just with his huge eyes. And as soon as they see their parent, they run to their parent, and then they start crying. You know, it's not a coincidence that Jesus tells us to come to him as little children. It's not a coincidence that Jesus draws these parallels. So I I, want to mention two things I've considered. You know, the brother of Jesus in his letter, James, wrote, uh, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. And and Paul says rejoice in suffering. So I want to share two things that I think are very, very helpful when it comes to suffering. The first is this. Reading through Scripture and, and looking at this, it's very clear Um, that part of suffering is for the purpose of other people. I'm pretty convinced in our lives we will suffer, and how we deal with that suffering or those hardships will affect other people. And so how you as a Christian, if you claim the name of Jesus Christ, how you deal with hardships will encourage, will empower, and will build the faith of not only yourself, but those around you. I'm I'm almost 99.999% sure that's an absolute certainty. We go through suffering together, and in doing so, we are made stronger. And it's not just the person who suffers, but it's the people who see them. This is why we share testimony. This is why we share of the good things God has done in our life. So that's the first thing. That it serves a very important purpose in the life of the body of the church. And the second thing I want to mention is this, is that we must not, as Christians, run from suffering. We must not shy away from it. And this is not a popular phrase, but it's becoming more and more true in my life, is that we as Christians must learn to suffer well. We must learn to suffer well. See, the West has become particularly good at at isolating itself from suffering, right? We like to control our exposure to suffering. And I'm not saying these things are bad, but this is sort of what we do. You know, we go on missions trips so that we can go and see suffering somewhere else, but that we don't have to have it around our lives every day. Sometimes we, we give money instead of our time because we don't really actually want to work with people, but we want to just give money so that other people can go work with people. And these things are not bad. I think mission trips are great, and I think donating and, and, and helping is wonderful. But it is bad when we do it from a place of control, when we try to isolate ourselves and just give ourselves little bits of exposure so we feel better about ourselves. In the U.S., I always called this um, the appeasement of our conscience gospel. Um, that around Thanksgiving, right? We have Thanksgiving in the United States and it's the best holiday ever because all you do is eat. But for people less fortunate, this is when everyone donates. This is when everyone goes to soup kitchens. This is when everyone goes and gives food. And this is when everyone does this. And it's not that, in, in my experience, some people do it and it's great and it's wonderful. But in my experience, many people would do it just to simply feel better about themselves and to feel better. They say, well, I haven't done anything all year long. It's November. I'm just going to give a bunch of food to a homeless shelter or give one day of service, which is still good. 
but it's from a desire to control the suffering. They don't want to see the suffering all the time, so they go out and they, they, they help every now and then. And, and, and in a way, I really truly believe this, it's a way to run from suffering. It's a way to hide from suffering. We as Christians must be willing to suffer alongside others. And I'm not saying we go and seek it out, okay? So don't, I want to I make that very, very clear. It's not about masochism or asceticism, which is basically just two big words for seeking out extra suffering or to punish ourselves. But let me just encourage you, you must not be afraid of it. When you see it, you must not shy away from it. You must seek what God has for you in the suffering, because you know what? God does weird things. I mean, it's not very pastoral to say that. God is kind of weird sometimes. And in the book of Habakkuk, which we just read, God was so mad at the people of Israel for their arrogance and their pride and and their empty worship that he said, I'm going to do something you wouldn't even believe if I told you. But I'm going to tell you anyways. He said, I'm going to raise up the Babylonians. The great Babylonian empire was raised up by God. God does weird stuff. Remember, the Bible in the Christian life is not necessarily just about fair but it's God's justice. I mentioned Hosea and Ezekiel. They're similar stories that many would consider unfair. God had the prophet Hosea marry a woman who would be unfaithful to him as an image for how Israel was unfaithful to their God. How is that fair? And we want these things to be the most extreme examples, and in some ways they are. I mean, these these guys are prophets who spoke to kings, and it's a little different, but the principle is sound. We must not run from suffering and pain when we find it. We must run to God like the child, and we run to each other to comfort and to care and to firm up each other's faith. And this is why Paul says in verse 5, he says, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing your faith. I'm looking forward to seeing how you're growing. I'm looking forward to seeing the people you will become. So let me encourage you tonight, don't run from suffering. Don't isolate yourself from the things around you. Don't be fearful when you're discouraged. This is one of the the, the saddest things about things like depression and loneliness. You know, anyone who's ever had, uh, struggled with loneliness or struggled with depression or or sadness knows the first thing you want to do is just be by yourself. You want to pull away, you want to isolate. You know, I mean, (laughs) how many of us... I mean, for those of you in, who, who are not Swiss in this room, we all know what it's like to do an international move to a new culture. And some of you who are Swiss know what it's like. You have days, you have times when it's just hard. And you don't want to go out and face the day, but that's exactly what we need to do. We need to come and join together to encourage and lift each other up. You know, this week, I was in, uh, I, was, I was very fortunate. I was in... Um, Jenna and I were both, we went to Bratislava for a few days and then Vienna for a few days for a a conference of international English-speaking churches, pastors, and spouses. And it's everything from Cairo and Jerusalem to Moscow to the UK and sort of everything in between. And, and, And every church has different problems, every church has different stuff going on, and everyone has these great stories, but it's so comforting to sit across from someone to share what you're thinking, what you're feeling, and what your struggles are, and for them to just say, I know, it's hard. And I have to tell you, it is so, it's been so encouraging coming back this week and coming back to ministry here because I see people, and to be honest with you, it's hard. 
International ministry is very, very difficult in a lot of ways. But to see people who have chosen to do the same things that that we've chosen to do and to be encouraged by them, it reminded me so much. Sometimes, like the wind, we're not going to see God. I'm going to be really honest with you. There's going to be dark times and there's going to be hard times where you're just not going to see God. But sometimes God also says, yeah, you're not going to see me. Because let's be honest, if you saw God, you'd... I mean, even when people see angels, they're terrified. If you saw God, you wouldn't know what to do with yourself. So what God does is he surrounds us with people. He puts people in our lives to just say, I know, it's hard. Man, I'm sorry you're going through that. That stinks. Hey, come over for a meal. Hey, let's let's just get together and go for a walk. Hey, let's just spend a little time together and not talk about whatever the big problem is. And after a while, we're meeting with people and we're gathering with people and we, and, and, and we start to feel better and we start to see God in people and we see, oh, wow, God, um, this is what you're doing. You're surrounding me with your body, the church. You're surrounding me with these brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul says we must be willing to suffer as Christ did for the sake of this body. But we also go through it together. Because even though Christ suffered fully and completely for our sins, he still feels what we go through. He is the head of this body, the church. He feels our pain. He feels our hurts. And he desires that we would unite and strengthen each other in the midst of our sufferings. That we would not be led away. That we would not be persuaded by worldly arguments. Remember, we are not of this world. And if we share in the sufferings of Christ... We are of another world, the world that is eternal, where these sufferings will one day be no more. It's another kingdom. And so my encouragement to you tonight is do not shy away from the heavenly kingdom. Do not shy away from the fellowship of the body of believers. But journey forward with assurance that in Christ we have the hope of glory. Please pray with me. Lord, to be completely honest, sometimes we just want the future to be now. We want to jump ahead and skip the suffering. We want to skip the growth. We want to skip the hard parts. But Lord, it's because we know what darkness is that we recognize your light. Lord, we may not see you, but we feel the warmth of your light. As the warmth of the sun on a nice day, Lord, we know you are there. God, I pray that your love and your peace and your justice would permeate our hearts. That it would be the thing that dictates all that we say and do. And that we as a church, Lord, not just IPC and not just the city of Zurich, Lord, but around the world, your church would lean on each other, would bear with one another with all of our burdens that we would help each other carry the load. Lord, that when we are rejoicing and joyful, we would help those who are not. And when we are sad and lonely, Lord, we would turn to you and to your body, the church whom you love. Lord, let us feel the warmth of your light in our life. Amen. Uh, As we uh, have the...